From WHQR Public Media in Wilmington, North Carolina, this is Coastline. I'm Rachel Lewis Hilburn. November 10, 1898, a mob of violent white supremacists burned down the building that housed the Daily Record, the only daily newspaper published by and for African-American citizens. The same violent mob chased black citizens out of town, killed an unknown number of people, and drove black elected officials out of City Hall at gunpoint. If you're a regular Coastline listener, you know this as the story of the coup d'etat of 1898 in Wilmington, North Carolina. Alexander Manley, who escaped the port city that terrible day more than a century ago, survived because he could pass for white. He and his brother Frank left Wilmington behind and made a new home in Washington, D.C. It was there Alex Manley met Carrie Sajwar and started his own family. In an earlier episode of Coastline, we met Alex Manley's great-great-grandson, Kieran Hale. We also met Kieran's wife, Priscilla. The couple makes their home in Southern California. And as far as we know, no one after Alex Manley, in his line of descendants, had returned to Wilmington until Kieran and Priscilla Hale in 2021. In our first interview, which I encourage you to seek out, the couple explains the ways intergenerational trauma affects them today. One of the more striking ways, Kieran has brittle bone disease. He believes it's a result of inbreeding, when white slave owners would rape the black women they kept repeatedly, until eventually, inevitably, they would be raping their own daughters. On their first trip to Wilmington, Kieran and Priscilla Hale also expressed what they called an irrational fear of coming to the city. They wondered if men with guns would meet them at the airport to finish the job. Priscilla seriously considered straightening her natural afro in order to draw as little attention to herself as possible. Since then, the two have returned to Wilmington for the second time. They attended the soil collection ceremony held in November 2021 by the New Hanover County Remembrance Project to honor the dead from November 10, 1898. The Hales also attended a memorial service for one of the murder victims, Joshua Halsey. And they returned to the studio to talk about their evolving impressions of Wilmington and introduce me to another family member, Layla Hale another great-great-grandchild of Alex Manley. In the city of Portland, I run a art gallery for Black, Indigenous, and folks of color who uh, have multiple marginalized identities. And I also am the disability program coordinator for the city of Portland. As a great-great-grandchild of Alexander Manley, Layla is also cousin to Kieran Hale. I am a uh, musician and multimedia engineer uh, working on a few projects in Los Angeles, California. Here's Priscilla Hale, Kieran's wife. I am a preschool associate teacher. Um, I used to work in Contra Costa County, California. Now I'm on Los Angeles. So Layla, your cousin, mm -hmm. is with you on mm -hmm. this trip. Tell me how that came to be. I mean, I absolutely was just kind of fired up and excited by just the the things that we we saw and were able to, to to take back with us after our last trip and so i really didn't want it to be just me speaking on this i understood that this affected a number of people and all of their opinions and interests 
should be reflected in, in how it plays out. So I went back and uh, I got on Zoom calls basically with, with everyone in the family or f- with whoever was kind of there at the time. And I was really just like, hey, you know, can we get people on this? Is anyone interested in participating in this? And there's, there's more stuff affecting this going on that, you know, I think we should be a part of. Layla Hale explains why they made the trip from Portland, Oregon. Well, A of all, I just want to give Kieran his flowers for, like, the amount of labor and research and love that has gone into making all of these reconnections and making these connections. And um, I only found out about Wilmington on Fire, Mm. like, a couple of years ago. That's a documentary about the Wilmington coup by Christopher Everett. Among the sources in the film, Lewin Manley, Alex Manley's grandson. Um, So all of this family history, aside from, you know, piecing together bits and parts from stories from our elders, um, you know, I didn't really have like a solid narrative. So like this is really helping, you know, heal a lot of those, those, you know, traumatic family wounds when you're like, where do I, especially as like black Americans are like, Mm -hmm. where do we come from? Where is our past? We're people without a history a lot of times because these things are purposefully hidden from us. Mm -hmm. So I'm like really, really thankful to like have this be a part of what I feel like is both ancestral and like very current like familial trauma Mm -hmm. and you know part of our you know familial estrangement is because of that Mm -hmm. trauma Mm -hmm. and so we only be able to we've only been able to like reconnect as like adult siblings um very recently so this is all a part of that like the the that's the golden thread I feel like through all of this Mm -hmm. narrative is that like this is a part of like reconnecting with our history in order to be to have a, a stronger sense of how did we get here? Mm-hmm. And then how do we move forward? Right. Can you talk about the estrangement? Um, I mean, I don't want to like air out all our family laundry, <laughs> um, but yes. I will just say that, you know, the combination of ableism, internalized anti-blackness, transphobia, homophobia, all of these things kind of, you know, we refer to these things collectively as the hex, mm-hmm. right? That, that befalls all of us. You know, those things are very real and they, they come to a head and they result in families being fractured and trauma and mm-hmm. estrangement. And, you know, without airing out our specific business, you know, that's that's the lesson that we take through all of this. Mm-hmm. You know, we were at that ceremony yesterday. Layla is referring to the soil collection ceremony on November 6th, 2021, held by the New Hanover County Remembrance Project. Over months, volunteers collected soil from three locations in Wilmington where people were killed on November 10th, 1898. They also took soil near the former site of the Daily Record, Alex Manley's newspaper. And I noted two black photographers and the rest of the people who were witnessing and cataloging and kind of consuming were white. Yep. Mm-hmm. Like every single person there, every journalist, <laughs> whether they were local or not. Mm-hmm. And there's this thing about like witnessing trauma and, and like the different players at part, right? So for mm-hmm. us, this was a, this was a ceremony, mm-hmm. right? And for like, for, you know, people a part of the African diaspora ceremony, it means something really, really deep. Yes. It means something spiritual. And, you know, just the idiosyncrasies mm-hmm. of having like all young white volunteers who are helping with mm-hmm. the, the soil mm-hmm. part of the ceremony. Mm-hmm. And, you know, having folks there who offered libations but didn't understand what libations were for Mm -hmm. and how they are used in ceremony, Mm -hmm. which is like pretty well known. Even if you're not deeply versed in like traditional African religions, Mm -hmm. you know that, you know, you don't eat the food that you offer to your ancestors. Mm -hmm. 
like you, that that's not for human consumption. And I've, I've learned that through yeah. Black and Caribbean mm-hmm. Latin cu- culture. So yeah. again, Priscilla Hale, Kieran's wife. There's a connection there that runs so deep, and it's not well understood. I'm going to be frank by white people. Mm-hmm. Um, you Nor know, is so, it meant to be. No, to be frank. I mean, yeah, yeah. So I think that, like you said, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to jump in there, but um, understanding those boundaries and then respecting them but paying attention to them so that, you know, we do ensure it's not just performative and that it is actually meaningful. Yeah, that, that piece around, like, white consumption of black death and black pain. Mm. Like, to be frank, y'all love that shit. Like, it's really, <laughs> like, folks really, like, the the spectacle of black death and black pain is as American as apple pie. Mm. I also noticed the abundance of white attendees at this ceremony, and I acknowledge this, both members of the press and the general public. And I tell them, I also wondered about it and thought briefly about asking some of the white people why they showed up. But I didn't. At what point do we own this history together, like the, the pain that white people perpetrated and continue to perpetrate? And at what point do we say this isn't this isn't one group's wound? This is a collective wound, mm-hmm. and the only way that we can heal it is by recognizing that this is our wound together. I know better than this. At least I thought I did. My perception could not be less relevant in this moment. But I'm leaving in this cringeworthy question because it leads to some pretty direct and potentially eye-opening perspective from Layla. Uh, all of the framing around this has been really interesting. The whole, like, we all need to come to the table. We all need to do this together. I'm like, y'all have a lot of work to do. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. I'm just like, what is the role of, like, the descendants of enslaved Africans in this? And it's mm-hmm. certainly not to, like, make anybody else feel better. Um, but I think, like, why, y'all need to start asking each other questions. That's why I was like, mm-hmm. you should have. You need to ask each other questions. Why are you here? Mm-hmm. Is it for this? Not for the benefit of us. We're not mm-hmm. getting anything out of your presence. Mm. Are you signing over deeds? Are you signing over land? Are you signing over businesses? Are you signing over your cars? Are you signing over, like, are you taking black people's debt? Like, what are you doing? The time for talking is over. We've been talking for 100 years. It's not doing anything. Mm. Like, we know what to do. Mm. But I think it's like, now it's time for white folks to look at yourselves and decide how you're going to clean up your own backyard. Like, you need to clean up your own backyard before you come to our table. Don't come in my house with dirty feet. Mm. Like, and your feet are filthy. (laughs) So I'd say, like, Y'all need to decide that. It's, it's your question. Mm-hmm. It's not ours. We know our work as Africans. Like, our work is to get organized and to find liberation for our people. Mm-hmm. Like, and we know if, like, if this is generational trauma we're dealing with, then what are y'all dealing with? Yeah. Like, that's the question. Priscilla Hale offers an example of a white person who is doing the work. Lucy McCauley. Lucy McCauley <laughs> is a descendant of a perpetrator of 1898. And she, her mother has passed last year, and so she has decided to take the proceeds of that, her portion of the proceeds of that estate, um, and turn it into a scholarship um, for the descendants of people who were affected by the black people of 1898. That's actionable. That's, that's, that's money that's going to go directly into the hands of black folk who were affected by this and help them progress. So those are, those are actionable things. It's true. Lucy McCauley confirms the foundation should be operational by the end of 2021. So the thing that we're here to start laying down are what actions can we take to 
bring equity, to bring healing. You're listening to Coastline. It's a conversation with Kieran and Layla Hale, the great-great-grandchildren of Alexander Manley and Kieran's wife, Priscilla. When we return from this short break, we'll hear about the Hales' trip to Manly, a town in North Carolina they believe was named after the white North Carolina governor, Charles Manley, a town they believe was the place he chose to relocate people he enslaved. Stay with us. I'm Rachel Lewis-Hilburn for Coastline. Listening to Coastline, I'm Rachel Lewis Hilburn. Kieran and Layla Hale are cousins. They are also the great great grandchildren of Alexander Manley, publisher of the Daily Record, the only black owned daily paper in the South, possibly the country, in 1898. A white mob ran Manley and his brother out of town after burning down his building, killing at least a dozen people, possibly more, and forcing elected black officials out at gunpoint. A coup d'etat in Wilmington, North Carolina. Manley's descendants are in Wilmington to learn more about what happened, what their family lost, and how they might find reparation and healing in more ways than one. Also with us today, Priscilla Hale, Kieran's wife. She has just pointed to a white person who is seeking to mitigate the harm inflicted by her ancestors, Lucy McCauley, a descendant of one of the coup's perpetrators, is setting up a scholarship fund for black descendants of victims. Kieran Hale agrees Lucy McCauley is a fine example. I mean, I, I like that example, but that's an example of, of a person who decided, you know, to, to try to act on this. To do what's right, yeah. And there's, there's not, uh, as far as I know, there's plenty of people who benefited from 1898 and other actions who benefited and did did not know or they do know and don't care and so how do you how do you how do you create action you know from from those or even just how do you call action on on a grand scale in that way i'm i'm not totally sure well it's it's like it's kind of like like layla saying like there are there was land that was lost there were businesses and homes that were lost Mm -hmm. and so what are we doing to ensure that that's rightfully returned and also ensure that it's equitable to today's standards. 1898 was 123 years ago. So clearly in, within that time, there, there, is a, there is a tremendous economic loss. Just that one thing, if we focus on that, that has occurred over this time and has, has just stopped a family in its tracks, you know? And we're not the only ones, they're not the only ones, and, and I think it's important that we address that. And so I think for white people, especially white people in Old Wilmington, it's time to say, what can we do? What can we actually do, not just talk about or have a ceremony over? Mm-hmm. Layla Hale. Who, who was it who found the deed to the livery? Oh, yeah, that oh, was Philip Gerard. Uh, Philip Gerard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, that was, yeah. I, I love that dude. <laughs> so, and all we got to do is look up how much a livery cost then. Right. Mm-hmm. They're talking about the deed to Alex Manley's livery company, which he had incorporated in the state of North Carolina before he was forced to flee in 1898. Factor for inflation, mm-hmm. right? And the the state of North Carolina can just give our family mm-hmm. that money. You sure. know, like there are like we have to get creative because true reparations, like we've talked about this, how mm-hmm. it would just bankrupt America. the Western yeah. world, yeah, mm-hmm. completely. Yeah, like the amount of money that was made off of black, like Africans in general, is incalculable yeah. by today's standards. Mm-hmm. Like 
it's a literal Googillion amount of money. <laughs> like we were providing like 60% of the world's cotton at one point. And it's just cotton. Right. Like not to mention all right. of the other things. Uh, yeah. So like, you know, it's just, it goes like, you, you, some debts are, are irreparable. Like you cannot repay them. Mm-hmm. Like you cannot repay the deaths. Mm-hmm. Like you, you cannot repay the loss of life. You cannot repay the trauma. You cannot repay all of these things. The best you can do is get creative. Kieran explains why he's more optimistic about the possibility of reparations than he was just two months ago. The case, the case of 1898 is just, in my opinion, just kind of just so cut and dry. It's just so very clear. Here was an individual who's doing well for himself, who the entire community decided to just shut down. And that's not okay, right? So, so here's one clear cut case and that's what makes it that's what I don't I don't want to say we're lucky or whatever but that that gives us that the 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 clearness of that scenario is easy to point at and and point at the wrongness of it but there's a yeah there's a much larger in all the ways that that the the systems were institutionalized to do us wrong we we need to kind of bend back each of those and that's a much larger and messier effort and you're going to find resistance to it. I mean, <coughs> teaching the history, especially right now, is hard enough. So asking someone who doesn't even want to teach the history of it and tell the truth to ensure that we can make some sort of reconciliation in the form of finances or financial support in some way um, is definitely, it, it seems like an impossible battle, you know, especially at the state level, mm-hmm. particularly like North Carolina has a reputation for legislation that is violent and wrong, you know what I mean? So how do you, how do you approach them with that? Since we spoke, have you heard conversations, local conversations, that make it sound like it it might be more of a possibility than you initially thought coming in? I I definitely heard more. It was was more of a topic of conversation than I initially thought. Mm -hmm. I thought that I was the outlier for thinking that that this was something that was deserved. Uh, But uh, plenty of people at least seem to be on the same page about it. Uh, And so that's encouraging, but it's... Yeah, I don't know. I mean, you know, Miss Sonia is, I'm immediately just in awe and respect her tenacity because it has been a straight uphill battle Mm -hmm. for her here. Um, But she's still doing it and continues to do it. She's talking about Sonia Patrick, a longtime activist and advocate for civil rights in the Cape Fear region. Sonia Patrick also spoke at the November soil collection ceremony honoring the victims of 1898. And so from my part, I feel motivated to jump in to ensure that there are tangible there's a tangible endpoint for her efforts and for the efforts of all our black people who are trying to accomplish this here. And so it's like, yeah, we want action on this local level, but it's not just for these group of black people, it's for all black people here, you know, so. Mm -hmm. And I feel like, you know, wherever we can make a case, you know, politics in the United States is like, oh, what happens in one state and then other states fall. So like, this is to me, um, very connective, not just to like Wilmington and North Carolina, but you know, for the whole of you know African folks in the United States trying to get their due, and you know us getting our due here, you know, connects back to the motherland. It mm-hmm. connects to Africans on the continent mm-hmm. getting their due, mm-hmm. and you know, so it's it's all connected mm-hmm. to me. 
When I spoke with Kieran and Priscilla a couple of months ago, they talked about visiting a town in North Carolina called, interestingly, Manly. They believe this town was started by Governor Charles Manley as a place to put the people he, a white governor, had enslaved. We went to Manly. Manly, yes, we, 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 we went spoke to Manly. A bit about Manly yeah. in our interview, but yeah. we, we went there physically to check it out. Yeah. Uh, what did you find? Not, not much, but it's the Presbyterian Church. The, that's still yeah, the only the thing in town that still had the name Manly on it was the church. But yeah. we, uh, I, I, I had hoped. Well, I mean, it was you know it was a crazy you know guerrilla style mission. So we had, the only day we could squeeze it in was a Sunday, and when we went, uh, some of the shops were closed, so we might have to go back. Uh, but we we did dig up uh, some local history on it, and we got uh, we actually spoke with uh, one of the preachers in town. Yeah, there's a pastor. Oh my gosh, I can't remember his name suddenly, but he's the pastor um, at I think it's called Trinity AME. It was Trinity AME. Yeah, in in Southern Pines, and he grew up there. And he attended Jordan Chapel. I believe his father was also a pastor there. And Jordan Chapel is interesting because the the father relayed a story to us about how he discovered this really old Bible in Paul, Paul in, Murphy. Paul Murphy, thank you, Father Sorry. Paul Murphy. Hello, Paul. <laughs> father Murphy. <laughs> um, and he relayed a story to us about this seeing signatures in this Bible of clergy passing through Southern Pines heading to Wilmington to help um, protect and and speak on behalf of uh, the black community that were being run out of town. And he talks about how these clergy members knew they were coming at risk because some of them were shot in the woods on their way out to Wilmington. And he talks about families that they knew that had hidden in Pine Forest making their way to Southern Pines, making their way to Manly and stopping at Jordan Chapel and the church helping to provide them refuge and safe passage out of the area. And then he mentioned that Jordan Chapel was asked to give up their location for a housing development. And when they declined, um, they were harassed. The altar was defecated on, the pews urinated in, um, uh, windows busted out. And so finally, after all the harassment, they decided, you go, okay, we'll, we'll relocate. And so they lifted up the building and moved it down the road and across the way. Um, but they, didn't, they weren't able to bring their cemetery with them. And so now there's housing developments there, and they don't know what happened to any of those records. They don't know what happened to any of those graves. Um, the, the people buried there, their headstones, no, they, they, they don't know. You're listening to Coastline. Priscilla Hale, wife of one of the great-great-grandchildren of Alex Manley, owner of the Daily Record, is explaining what they learned when they traveled to Manley, North Carolina, and how she and her husband, Kieran, are continuing their research. So somehow the Central Library in Los Angeles ends up with all of these crazy records yeah, from all we over were, the country. We were trying to double-check uh, census records and just whatever, like, business records and, uh, like, neighborhood records that we could at the L.A. Central Library. Yeah, and there's so much there that we didn't, we just didn't have time in the trip that we made. But I did notice that there were um, listings of uh, burials within a few counties in North Carolina at that time. Um, we also found, like, uh, marriage records from plantations 
that someone had taken out the time and like typed up in the early 1900s and it's just there and and also there's a, a, a group of census records from I believe 1890 in North Carolina that historians that we've spoken to here don't have access to it's in the central library at, at Los and in Los Angeles so here and I are doing some researching and trying to figure out you know and I'm hoping that Jordan Chapel's records are somewhere in them, whether it's one, one of the one of the churches had their had their records destroyed. Which one? Do you remember which one that was? Because basically, like we're still looking for manly records. Mm-hmm. Because oh, it was the courthouse that burned down in eighteen eighty nine in Manly. In Manly, mm-hmm. yeah. So the original Moore County courthouse and. Uh, speaking to locals and reading books written in that area, they still believe it's arson. But a fire suddenly broke out in 1889 at the Moore County Courthouse, and so they have no records, you know, preceding that that time. Yeah, there's a couple a couple instances where we thought we were about to find like a record of something or a signature on something. In, in a couple different cases, uh, records have been just destroyed uh, or lost. Oh, God. I don't think that's a coincidence. That's just no, me. no. That's just me. Oh, that's a tried tactic. Like, white, like ahistorical narratives are a pillar of white supremacy. Mm-hmm. It's how they keep the ideology going. Right. right. You mentioned last time that you felt like you had a pretty guided experience, and mm-hmm. then yeah. you know people were open and friendly, and you didn't mm-hmm. feel the same mm-hmm. um, trepidation, maybe that you felt thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Where are you now with that? I, I mean, I think we've met and interfaced and interacted with enough people to understand that there 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 is a a some concept of awareness here uh, not only of the event but just kind of the toll it took uh, but at the same time, I, I can't assume that of everyone in this community. I still kind of have to judge that and very carefully introduce myself into scenarios. Uh, so yeah. Um, it, there, there is an awareness around it, but it, it's it's not not where it should be. I think. Layla Hale. Yeah, I feel like there are a lot of well-meaning allies, like yeah. you were saying before. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think I definitely feel less anxious this time. You know, um, and it's not because I have like the rose-colored glasses on. I think um, while it was it was interesting to see so many white people at the event yesterday. Priscilla Hale is talking about the soil collection ceremony on November 6th, 2021. Um, I think that, I think that it, it, I hope that they go home and tell somebody about it. Do you know, like, I hope that Mm -hmm. they do the work from there. Um, because that's that's what's the encouraging part is knowing that you are having these conversations and open to the discomfort of it, you know, because not everybody's willing to make themselves uncomfortable. And so I could see in the crowd there were some people uncomfortable with the things that were being said, but nobody walked away. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and that's 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 a starting point, I think, that kind of encourages me and makes me feel like I, I'm, I'm OK here. You know, it's not it's not great. Not at all. And I know there are some people who hate me just based on how I look. But, you know, that's a them problem, not a me problem. But I know that there is community for me here. And that feels really good to have come back and, and have that community and embrace us again so openly. I, I did notice one thing. <clears throat> uh, and it's not, you know, not not a total bummer, but it, it, it did kind of bum me out. Uh, <laughs> the mayor <clears throat> spoke at the... A burial ceremony, uh, 
Uh, and I, I, I happen to be following uh, quite a bit of what's going on over here. And I kind of noticed that the mayor, uh, A, his speech was a little, I don't want to say lackluster, but uh, definitely established himself as, as an other to the black community of this city. But not only that, but it was the exact same speech verbatim that he gave two weeks ago. At the press conference. At a, a press conference at, uh, at 1898 Park. Mayor Bill Sappho says he actually had a longer speech prepared for that Halsey burial event. But event organizers asked speakers to shorten their remarks because of the inclement weather. So, yeah, that's not... That's, that's not, performative and, that's, and that's disingenuous. That's not a great move, and it's a little... Yeah, it bummed me out about this city and about the city's willingness to participate in its side of things here. Like, not, not totally there yet. The mayor's intent, says a City of Wilmington spokesperson, was to reiterate the city's commitment to healing and progress to the widest possible audience throughout the 1898 commemorative events. We talk about Confederate monuments around the country and in the port city. I tell them about the two monuments that stood downtown for decades until protests on the heels of the murder of George Floyd caused city officials to pull them down, citing public safety. That was 2020. In 2021, city workers took down the pedestals. As of December 2021, they are still in what the city calls interim storage. Layla Hale says they see the same issue in their home city of Portland, Oregon. People just took them down. People just tore them down. And we're also protesters. Tore yeah. Them down. Mm-hmm. yeah. And so we're we're also storing them now. And like part of my job as like creative laureate for the city of Portland is like uh, like creating space for some of these conversations. And one of my big questions for folks has been like, why are you storing them? Like. It's very easy to smelt metal in the world. I'm like, is there a metal, there a metal shortage in the world right now? Like, right, we're having supply chains up and down that are, like, having yeah. trouble. So I'm just yeah. like, melt them. Like, what are you saving them for? Do you right. think the Confederacy is going to come back? And, like, <laughs> the whole question of, like, heritage. Like, the Confederacy lasted five years. Right. Like, yeah. the like, Simpsons has more of a heritage than the Confederacy does. The Nazi flag is outlawed in Germany, and guess what Nazis use? <sighs> we return to their research process. So it was Philip Gerard who found mm-hmm. the livery deed. Uh, was it the li- livery deed or the house deed? It was a livery. Livery deed, yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. Okay, yes. so you're still looking for yes. a house deed? Yes. 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 Yeah. But okay. the Latimer House has um, kind of pointed mm-hmm. us in the direction of the old Sajwar collection that was donated on the behalf of the Baha'i Faith. And, we still have um, to get that. We still have, there's a and they may have some manly UNCW papers in it. The Archives Department yes. still has some stuff, yes. possibly. And, you know, Philip Gerard's someone who... Um, interest me because, you know, when we talk about there being white artists and and writers who are the ones who have spoken about this, um, but he had an impact on his life from it. You know, he almost lost his job, um, but he still keeps telling the truth. Philip Gerard, a writing professor at the University of North Carolina, Wilmington, and a prolific writer himself, wrote a fictionalized account of 1898 called Cape Fear Rising, and he published it in the 1990s. Colleagues warned him about the consequences, but Gerard forged ahead. And, like, that's the kind of, when we talk about allies, we, that's what we talk about. Like, you had risk to yourself and your livelihood, but mm-hmm. you still stood up. You still pushed forward. Like, that's, that's real, you know? Yeah. And so, like, I really appreciate that about him. I mean, I call that an accomplice. Mm-hmm. 
You're listening to Coastline. It's a conversation with Kieran and Layla Hale, great-great-grandkids of Alexander Manley, publisher of The Daily Record, and victim of the 1898 coup d'etat in Wilmington. Also with us today, Priscilla Hale, wife of Kieran. We'll be back after this short break. Stay with us. I'm Rachel Lewis-Hilburn for Coastline. You're listening to Coastline. I'm Rachel Lewis Hilburn. With me today, Layla Hale, Kieran Hale, and Priscilla Hale. Layla and Kieran are cousins. They are the great great grandchildren of Alexander Manley. And Priscilla is married to Kieran. And, well, Alexander Manley, you know by now who he was, escaping Wilmington, North Carolina in November 1898 after a violent white mob burned down his newspaper publishing operation, killed black citizens, and forced black elected officials out of office at gunpoint. This is Kieran and Priscilla's second trip to Wilmington. It's Layla's first. On their last trip, they found the deed to a livery company that their great-great-grandfather had incorporated. Its evidence, which they feared, like so many other property records, might have evaporated after the November coup. I asked them how they plan to continue their work. Obviously, there's a lot of research you can do mm-hmm. from the West Coast. One of the things that we spoke about on that Zoom conversation as a family was that You know, Alex wasn't just the editor-owner of The Daily Record. He was actively trying to uplift and support the black community. And even after he left Wilmington and did not return to journalism, he still kept that going forward and instilled that value in in his son, Milo, who then carried it forward. Um, So I think it's important to remember that the part that they played in associations like the Armstrong Association. We're still going to do more research about that. Um, We'd like to look into their legacies at the universities that they attended and see what they did there. Um, And then also ensure that whatever we go forward with is uh, aligned with those values to uplift and support the black community, whether it's, you know, um, with physical space, you know, mm-hmm. because that's something that they provided for people was going people going to Penn State and stuff like that would come and stay at the house or passing through on like tours. They would stay with the Manleys. And so like providing space for black people, indigenous people and other people of color who, you know, need it and need a, support in their platform, um, professional development. You know, he had like a painter's union and, a, mm-hmm. and an engineering union after that. And um, so ensuring that they are supported economically, but mentally and emotionally, too, you know, physically, that's really important. And Mm -hmm. so we'd like to ensure that going forward that we remember Alex and his family doing that and that it's still being done, Mm -hmm. you know. Layla's work like I, I, I you know can't tell you I don't want to get emotional but I respect <laughs> the hell out of you and all the work that you do on behalf of black indigenous people of color especially extra marginalized 
queer people. It, like, you know, we, we see the fight and especially, you know, North Carolina is, a, is the bathroom bill state. And so I cannot tell you how tremendous it is that you came here. And I appreciate you so much. I really do. Thank you. <laughs> so, um, you know, yeah, just ensuring that this work has true impact um, and tangible uh, outcomes is important. Yeah, I love that. And also, like, yeah, I really feel like this is legacy work. Like, mm -hmm. we're going to build something. Mm -hmm. Like, we are doing something with, you know, the genetic creativity and joie de vivre that mm -hmm. has been passed mm -hmm. to us. And, you know, we definitely are keeping Alex Manley's spirit alive mm -hmm. and, like, talking shit wherever we can yeah. and get in trouble. <laughs> yeah, yep, definitely. So, like, yeah, I feel like it's really important to make sure that this goes beyond us mm -hmm. and that, you know, we're, we're standing on the shoulders of giants, but who mm -hmm. are we lifting up? Mm-hmm. Layla Hale told us in the first segment that they run an art gallery for Black, Indigenous, and people of color who have multiple marginalized identities. They are also the disability program coordinator for the city of Portland in Oregon. I asked Layla to tell me more about their work, what they did not tell us earlier, and slipped into the conversation in a way you may have missed, is that the mayor and city council of Portland appointed them to a two-year term as creative laureate. I'm an artist, first and foremost, and I think that art is our most powerful tool for disrupting you know, dominant ideologies. So that's really how I see my work folding into like all of the work that you know Kieran has laid this groundwork for, is that you know I'm in, in the spirit of James Baldwin, I'm trying to be a witness and um, connect all of this work that's happening. So I'm doing a lot of documenting while I'm here and trying to, um, yeah, just bring this story and connect it to like our work in the here and now and like how, you know, African legacies look different. Like when you look at like, you know, the Kennedy legacy and the Manly mm -hmm. legacy are very different. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I just I, I see my role no matter what title I happen to hold as like, you know, a creative activist. Um, and, and my job is to like dream up new ways of being and help other people dream up new ways of being and then just trying it and seeing what sticks. Um, so I feel like it's it's funky because like I work in government now, like I hold a position in our local government. And um, but I very much consider myself like a civil servant and this like. This all folds into me because, you know, you can't, you scratch a racist, you're going to find a sexist, you know, like that old <laughs> saying, like you scratch a sexist, you're going to find a homophobe, like they're all connected. Um, so you, for me, like, that's what intersectionality is. You can't work on one thing without working on all things to make sure that you're doing the job right. Um, that's kind of how I see my role, I guess, in community. What was your artistic medium to begin with? Like, where? how did you come into art? Do you remember? Or oh, our that? family's just so no, They're, just, they're, they're so artistic. <laughs> I mean, like, everybody, like, the houses, their homes are usually filled with everybody's art. There's, mm -hmm. you know, grandpa, grandma, there's, uncles, aunties, brothers. Art wall, everybody's musical got instruments about. Arts, yeah, there's, musical yeah. instruments scattered, mm -hmm. um, artifacts from traveling or photography. Oh, Courtney's amazing um, photography oh, has yeah. been featured in um, exhibits and she's in San Luis Obispo, California, so that's mm -hmm. like Central Coast. Alan Hale, Courtney's father, served as dean of the business school at California Polytechnic State University. He was also a lieutenant colonel in the Air Force. He died in 2018. 
Yeah, like I inherited a bunch of our grandfather Alan. I inherited a bunch of his old acrylic paints, and mm. I mean old. <laughs> <They're> like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, and so those were my first paints. Was painting with ten year old acrylics that my grandfather had used mm-hmm. to create all of the pieces I grew up with. Nice. So. I don't remember, and our artist is so natural, I don't. Yeah. To me, everybody is an artist, whether you think you are or not. Like, we've been, we had art before we had money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. It is so integral to human existence. Mm-hmm. I asked Karen and Priscilla what else they've thought about since that first visit to Wilmington in September 2021. Like yeah, that. just the, the one thing that, that's, that sticks out to me, just thinking about all of it, really, was one of the first things I listened to in terms of media, just in this area at all was uh, your interview with Kim about CRT. Kieran is talking about Professor Kim Cook at UNCW, who also directs the Restorative Justice Collaborative at the university. And it just, the whole thing with critical race theory just blows my mind that it's even a thing and it's so complicated and, and, and dumb that people are even getting upset about it. And ugh. But, but just... Ugh. The only people who are actually learning, quote unquote, critical race theory are are law school students. So uh, the issue of it becoming something we teach our kids or whatever is just completely made up and dumb. But really what 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 the opponents of it and people who are trying to turn it into this buzzword and issue, they're trying to erase cynicism towards historical whiteness in the teaching system, which is just. It's not even cynicism, though. It's it's just being critical just, of it. Yeah, being in, in, in any um, way critical towards race relations. And if I didn't have that perspective, I would be dead now. I would not exist without, quote unquote, CRT. So I don't know what exactly there is. Is it? I just feel like it's just history. Yeah. Like, yeah. Right? That's what I thought was the point. Right. Like, that, I just, you know, you study things through a different lens. Like, you don't necessarily want, you, in order to get deep analysis of something, you want to be able to look at it from different perspectives that are not necessarily your own or innate to you. And so all this really is, is the study of our systems and the processes that we have in place as a country, um, specifically to our judicial system, and how it can be biased towards black people and other people of color, indigenous people. And so um, it is just history, just with a bit of a a critical analysis to it. Yeah, so the opponents are basically trying to codify in law rose-colored goggles mm-hmm. towards whiteness in the mm-hmm, past. Mm-hmm. And some people just can't exist like that. I could not, I literally could not exist like yeah, that. Yeah. I would be mm-hmm. dead. You're listening to Coastline. It's our second conversation with Kieran and Priscilla Hale. He's the great-great-grandson of Alex Manley, owner-publisher of the Daily Record in Wilmington, North Carolina, before white supremacists launched a massacre in 1898 and burned down his building. He escaped from the city by passing for white. I mean, yeah, I remember books where I think it was my fifth grade history book. And it was called A More Perfect Union or A More Perfect. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it was Mm -hmm. blue with the globe on it. (laughs) And there were some things where it was like the way that they referred to slaves, like, you know, but they things were good. They were all right, you know, like they they got through food and shelter and you know, and work and meaningful work. And so I was just kind of like Third through fifth grade is, I don't want to say radicalized because that sounds dumb because it's No, like, it is. That's what it is. You're, yeah. You're describing. But, but like, but it just, 
but again, even that term radicalizing is has been charged here. Mm-hmm. So but it, it 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 did create a monumental shift in me because I started learning American history and understanding why as a result of the way I looked, was I treated this way? And so like it just and the language around it was always so nebulous and um you know, erring on the side of of pleasantness, rose-colored glasses, mm-hmm. you know? And so it really struck me to, at that young age, to learn that the that we were teaching history in a manner that was not truthful. You're teaching things that I'm supposed to be taking as fact, but these aren't the actual facts. So why are you teaching this to me? Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was, um, I think, I, I've been thinking a lot about where I was at that age because I have a nephew that that's age and he's a dark-skinned black boy, and sometimes his parents are strict with him and he doesn't understand why. And so his father's from the South um, before his family moved in a great migration to the West Coast. So there's a lot of generational trauma and fear there, you know? And unless someone, you know, you don't usually get to talk till you're about his age or so, you know? Um, But it's hard because you see your peers with these freedoms and privileges and you don't understand why you yourself don't have them. And I'm sorry, baby, but it's just because you're black. And that's really hard to tell an innocent child that, you know. <laughs> but when are white kids going to learn about racism? <laughs> <laughs> when are, like, I mean, say that like, when, when are white, white children going to learn about this, racism? Yeah. yeah, I feel like there's this argument that, like, you know, it's too tough to teach, like, white children about racism. Like, and, you know, we have to wait till a certain age. Mm. But it's like, we don't get that privilege. No. We have yeah. to warn our kids not yeah. to go outside. Like, yeah. Like, every, every, every town's a sundown yeah. town. Yeah. Every town's a sundown I town. I mean, I had a <laughs> child. I had a child in, in the nursery that I worked in. He was like three and a half, almost four. He told one of the teachers, I don't have to listen to you because you're black. Mm -hmm. You know, he called my hair ugly a couple times when I wore my natural hair. How old was this kid? Almost four, about four. Yeah, he turned Mm -hmm. four while I was Mm -hmm. there. So, you know, and it's interesting because like... what What do you even say to that? I mean, how do you even... I mean, you know, the teacher that I, I, I was called to the classroom after it happened because it upset her, rightfully so, you know, um, and all the other children heard that. And so actually, as a result of that, like a few days later, there was a bullying of another little black girl in the class. So there are real ramifications to it. And it's funny because, like, I know this child's parents and they seemed like they were good people. I didn't have any... Um, uncomfortable interactions with them. In fact, one of the times he told me my hair was ugly, his father was with him, and his father just was like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. No, it, you know. But it makes you wonder what you hear at home, what mm-hmm. the children are hearing at mm-hmm. home. And so yeah. it's like, but it's funny because it's like, what are they hearing at home? But we expect our educators to do the work of raising our children because they spend a lot of time with us um, in our current education system. And so it's like, you're sending this child to me, but they hate me, and they don't even know me. And you insist that I I care for them and nurture them and I cannot those two things can't go together you know we return to the question of the town of Manly in North Carolina Kieran Hale great-great-grandson of Alex Manley and his wife Priscilla have said they believe the town was largely settled by people that governor Charles Manley had enslaved 
we have a bit more detail on that actually <clears throat> because uh, because as we were looking into it the there's a railroad that was constructed in the area around the, the same time that the town itself was founded so uh, the existing theory we had was that the town was where uh, Governor Manley had basically taken all of his illegitimate slave children given them freedom and set them off somewhere so that the neighbors would stop asking so many questions uh, and that is still true but also we believe that he built up this town to manufacture a workforce for this railroad. Yeah, there was a there was a turpentine distillery, and so uh, the, the Manly was named Manly because he supported the railroad in its creation and funding, and so and then he sent workers to help with the distillery because it's a huge area for turpentine. So there, we actually have a picture of a man, the Manly Stillery that we found in mm -hmm. a book. Mm -hmm. um, so again, but because the court and, and was burned. And then they burned down the records. Yeah, because the court was burned, we're still in the process of trying <laughs> right. to figure out what we can see in, um, in, in the books because I know that Jordan Chapel had yeah. Manly so that attended it. There's still work to be done over there, but yeah, absolutely, that, mm -hmm. that, is, that is still our position. Layla, thank you for coming in. Yeah, thank you for having me. I mean, I feel like we have these intense conversations with each other so often, mm -hmm. yeah. and I'm just like, somebody needs to hear this. This <laughs> <laughs> felt really, really great yeah. to be able to like yeah. get this. And this people are listening. Yes. Yeah. Again, it's so wild to me to thank you to everyone who has like <laughs> listened to the first interview Kieran and I did with you and taken something away from it because like that's if I can change one person's mind, that's something. You know, that's, that's the not work. the end, but that's the work. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm here for it. Yeah, good. Thank you, Priscilla. Thank you. Thank you, Karen. Yeah, thank you. I, I know we did Manly last time. Even that was kind of a, a, a big kind of emotional chore mm -hmm. for us. But mm -hmm. I honestly, I'd like to visit uh, the former property of Charles the Manley, the governor. I'd like mm -hmm. to visit yeah. the plantation, see what we can dig up there. That's going to be a whole other quest i think we'll uh, have to emotionally prepare for that and mm -hmm. yeah we'll probably have to take like yeah like a you know that'll be another plus trip. 12 strength potion first or something <laughs> yeah no we need to we need to see some some conjure before that yeah. to spiritually yeah. protect ourselves you know, from yeah. the demons that's, <laughs> but that's that's, that's honestly a, that's that's on my horizon i'm looking forward towards that but for now yeah just kind of interfacing and and, and starting to come up with yeah. plans for real tangible action yeah, yeah so thank you thank you for letting us start to do that that's this edition of Coastline. Once again, thanks to Kieran, Priscilla, and Layla Hale. Thanks also to Professor Kim Cook, Director of the Restorative Justice Collaborative at UNCW. Coastline's Technical Director is Ken Campbell. Jonathan Furnell is Coastline's Engineer. Coastline is a production of WHQR Public Media. You can find this episode at whqr.org or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Rachel Lewis-Hilburn for Coastline. Thank you.